Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mind Your Body. If you're a mother or you have a mother or there's any mother out there who's impacted you, happy Mother's Day. I'm so excited today to share this episode with you because this is one of those interviews that I was so wrapped up into what the guest was saying, who is Dee Wagner today. And listening back, I learned even more about attachments and relationships and sex. And it's an exciting subject. And the most exciting thing is that Dee basically explains to us why attachment styles don't have to bind us into certain patterns in romantic relationships and that we can actually do movements that facilitate nervous system repatterning that can transform the way that we relate to our current partners or the way that we enter into relationships with any future partners. So it's really fascinating. And when I was dating or looking for a partner, I read a lot about how certain attachment styles don't work with each other, and that if you're this attachment style, you should go and find this attachment style, and all those things that seemed really constricted. And so it's such a relief to hear about how we can break free of those those constraints. And before we get started, I want to say how exciting my Facebook page has been, full of people commenting and contributing, and I'm making videos that are about 40 to 45 seconds, different movement directives that you can try at home or that you can bring into your sessions with your clients. And it's all really exciting. And I want to invite you again, if you haven't come to my Facebook page and follow me, you can find me at facebook.com slash Orit Krug DMT, or you can just type in the search bar Orit Krug Dance Movement Therapist. I'm just loving the connection to the community there. And I also do live videos of different kinds of movement experiences. So I hope to see you there. Enjoy the episode. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. I'm Dee Wagner. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as a board-certified dance therapist. And um, I work at a community counseling agency and do individual, couples, family. And then I also do some work at a space called Harbor of Dreams Art, which is an art space. And um, in the last five years, I have become a nervous system expert. And I write and I present about nervous system functioning, some of the new science that gives us um, important dynamics that we now understand how much our relationships form, how our nervous systems are patterned and how they function. So we're going to talk today about relationships. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, I'm curious about that. So We form relationships based on how our nervous system is patterned. Well, our relationships pattern our nervous system functioning. Ah, okay. So are you familiar with the ACE study? The ACE, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study? Can you explain it? Sure. It traces traumatic situations from the womb and birth all the way through early childhood and links that to adult dysfunction and disease. So we used to think things like, well, you know, that baby won't remember. Hmm. I mean, as dance therapists, we understand the body remembers, but this study is helping everybody else appreciate what a role the environment of the womb, the birth experience, those early dances that we know of from Judith Kestenberg's work, where she looked at the infant rhythms and the, res- the corresponding caregiver res- dance and how that patterns. Well, the new neuroscience is really helping us understand how those infant developmental dances pattern 
nervous system functioning. Okay. Can you give us an example? Sure, absolutely. It aligns with attachment styles. So Mary Ainsworth, who did the strange situations experiments, and she would have the mom with the baby, and then the mom would go out of the room, and a stranger would come in, and then the stranger would go out, and mom would come back, and she would watch the baby. And she divided people into secure attachment and insecure. And then she had some different kinds of insecure And, of course, attachment theorists have been working with this idea of attachment styles. And nowadays, people tend to think of that insecure as either anxious or avoidant. And now that we understand the nervous system patterning, those styles align with what we understand. So we used to think that nervous system functioning was one pattern, was one up and down that the top of the up was fight flight and the bottom of the down was dissociation, depression, shutdown, Mm -hmm. exhaustion. And we used to think that that sympathetic activation and parasympathetic calming were like a tango dance, like two dancers in perfect synchronicity. As much as the sympathetic gets active, the parasympathetic backs off the calming. As much as the sympathetic, I mean, the parasympathetic is calming, the sympathetic backs off the activation, but that's not true. That's what we used to think is true. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Now what we understand is there's two different dances that the sympathetic and parasympathetic do depending on whether we feel safe, secure, or whether we feel like we're facing life-threatening danger slash insecure. So it aligns with what we've noticed in terms of attachment styles. And then the two kinds of styles that exist, anxious, avoidant, they fit with fight, flight, and shutdown. So if there's life-threatening danger and you shoot off into fight, flight, but there's nothing you can fight, nowhere you can flee, you drop into dissociation. To be in this just kind of waited out, hoping the danger will pass. Mm -hmm. And then... You burst back into fight flight and then you drop back down into dissociation. So this dance, these bipolar dances, there's one for when we're facing life threatening danger, or at least we feel like we are. And there's another for when we're safe. And that has ups and downs of just day to day active and restful and mm, feeling a little hungry. Mm hmm. I eat and digest a little and I'm ready to be active again. So, right, so you're saying that, what were you saying? We used to think that the parasympathetic functioned only when the sympathetic didn't. Are you saying now it's more integrated or at least has the capability to be? It's much more complicated than we ever thought before. And the way to understand it simply is... Are we feeling safe? Are we feeling secure? If we're feeling secure, our body is going to naturally balance itself. We're going to feel, I'm tired. I want to sit down. I'm hungry. I want to eat some food. Hey, I feel like going and seeing if I can figure out how that puzzle works. You know, gosh, I feel like dancing the flamenco. (laughs) You know? We have these feelings and we follow them. I mean, we dance therapists have known this forever, that if you can bring someone to their authentic movement and help them follow the messages of their body, they're in a more healthy, secure kind of place. Right. When when your body is is saying danger, 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 then you're going to first go into fight flight and then you're going to go into shutdown and then you're going to bounce back and forth between the two. So this secure functioning is not in between fight, flight, and shutdown. It's a whole separate thing. And we've known that in terms of relationship ever since Ainsworth's work. The people um, who have sensitivity issues, Temple Grandin, who is a woman with autism, and a lot of people know of her, in her book, The Autistic Brain, she says that. She reports a lot of scientific studies, and then she sort of humbly suggests that a lot of the thought that there are two kinds of autism, 
one that's very active and one that's kind of comatose is because they have these people have not been in the body of a sensitive person that that freaking out and then feeling just like a vegetable. That's what we all do when we sense Mm. life threatening Mm -hmm. danger and sensitive people feel the danger that's around us, which really is around us. I mean, we drive 70 miles an hour down, you know, expressways. We are in life threatening danger. That's true. Yeah. Sensitive people have a harder time surrendering to a greater something. We think sort of in a 12-step model, that serenity prayer that is part of 12-step work, Mm -hmm. give me serenity to accept the things I cannot change. A nervous system way of saying that would be help me not shoot into fight flight. If there's nothing to fight, nothing to flee. Gotcha. And then, of course, the way we all help ourselves have that serenity is through centering and grounding through following the movements of the body, the rhythmics, you know, dances and sways and, you know, to be able to flow with the body, feel that mother earth holding us down and connecting us to the earth, rolling on the ground. And, you know, those are the things that help us find that sense of security. Right. So I want to get back to, because we're talking about relationships today. Are we talking about romantic relationships? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Stacey Hurst and I recently wrote an article about couples dance movement therapy. So we know that, um, and we've known for, you know, ever since marriage and family therapy began, that romantic interactions stir all the nervous system dysfunction. They stir the patterning that began in our first body inside of body relationship. I mean, that intimate, I am putting someone's body inside my body is, is only there in that caregiver infant relationship or romance. So it takes us right back to those places and can be a, a great place to repattern those dysfunctional dances once we bump into them. What's a great place? The romantic? Yes, that's to... a lot behind Harville Hendricks' work. He is a couples therapist. He wrote Getting the Love You Want and like Keeping the Love You Find, something like that. He wrote a lot of books that have exercises for couples. And that's what he says is, hey, this is a great way to discover what needs to be repatterned inside you. I don't think he says repatterned. That's more of a nervous system way of saying it. But let's use these dances to help you become more functional in all of your living and being. Mm-hmm. I want to see if we can paint a clear picture of what that looks like in a romantic relationship. Some, maybe some examples that you can give. Sure. One way that I sh- I hear it showing up is people talking about how their romantic partners make them feel. You make me feel sad. You make me feel angry. And that has that infant kind of, um, I am not in charge of my own feelings, my own sensations. Babies need someone to make them feel secure as we are adults and we're entering into these romantic relationships, the fact that we can't control someone that we can't make, you know, that that we're in charge of our own feelings and we don't know what's going to happen. That can be sexually exciting. That kind of comes from, well, it does come from um, mating in captivity. Esther Perel's book about um, how sexuality can basically kind of tank when there's too much of that sort of infant caregiver nurturing that happens in the romantic relationship. Mm. So what would that look like? So we are biologically programmed to um, not be sexual with people who are in our family. Certainly the parental child dance is one that is supposed to not have sexuality in it. If 
we wrestle with our romantic partner and get them taking care of us emotionally, we can stop being interested in having sex with them. Ah, I see. Because it doesn't feel, it feels too, the pheromones die. It feels too much like we're family. And if we're family, the pheromones die. So having some push-pull, having some, you frustrate me sometimes, you know, and you're interesting and exciting because I don't know exactly what you're going to do. And I do sometimes feel this or that. But I know ultimately I'm in charge of my feelings. If I get too irritated with you, I start to look at me. What's going on? What kind of self-care am I lacking? Let's let's get into the dance of it. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. So as you sit there, so you're sitting in a chair, I can see everybody listening can't see, but as you sit there in the chair and feel the your sit bones on the chair, you feel anchored and grounded in the chair, you feel your feet on the floor. And then my guess is as you're sitting and feeling comfortable, your breath can deepen. And when when our when, it, when our lungs suck in that air, it pushes down on the diaphragm. The diaphragm sucks the air in, and all the internal organs move out so you can feel breath all the way down in the pelvis. And then that energy can travel up the spine. It can lift the arms, opening the armpits, and your hands can reach forward. And you could reach and grab and pull you could reach and push. So that's baby you embodied in that body and feeling like I have some control over the world around me. That person who brings me food, I can grab her and pull her towards me or I can push her away because she's wanting to put that shirt on me and I don't like it when it goes over my head. Mm-hmm. So when I feel like I have some power over my relationships, then meeting this other person who's my peer, my friend, my my playmate, then it can be like a patty cake sort of game. In our article, we talk about these palm-to-palm exercises I've been using for years with couples. So a mindful putting together of the palms of our hands and moving them apart That is a test for how secure we feel. How does it feel in my belly when I connect? How does it feel in my belly when I disconnect? Can it be kind of exciting? I I can't grab your hand and, and move you and change you like I tried to do with mom. And it's different. This is a different game. And so I can patty cake, we can make make the slappy sound, you know, we can play little rhythms and stuff. But you surprise me with mom when I'm a baby. If it's too big a surprise, that's like death. That's terrifying. That's panicky. I start being really angry and frustrated. You made me feel scared. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you made me feel, you know, I'm mad at you and I have these intense feelings and they could pop into fight flight distress, sort of like, well, a lot like the Tronic still face experiments. Where'd you go? I needed you. So those infant kinds of heightened experiences can get triggered in romantic relationships. So I use these palm to palm exercises to let people explore this flat-handed, I can't take your hands and put them where I want them and move them in this experiment. And when I can't, what do I feel like in my body? And if we uncover kid-like feelings, how can you take care of you? Yeah. What were significant results from that? Did you record different responses? Like, how did that make people feel? Sure. I have lots of notes and it has been very powerful. One of my, well, I did one of those uh, dance therapy moments um, talks, which is coming out soon with the, the link to the article of Stacy's and mine. And I, I tell the story of this couple and we did an exercise called press. So I have sort of three exercises. One is patty cake, which is about connecting and disconnecting. The other is press, 
And the third is called play. So let's talk about press. So this couple, one of them was very kinesthetic and just liked really intense engagement. The other was kind of auditory visual. It's sort of like, get out of my face. I need space alone. I need So of course, distance or pursuer dance was happening all over the place. So when they explored pressure, the one who was real kinesthetic wanted a real wanted to feel the partner really press into her. But that felt very overwhelming to the partner. So the partner would back away, back away. And when they both really realized it in that kinesthetic way with their hands, there was a great deal of sadness. They had to face, is this not going to work? They faced what they imagined were their needs. The kinesthetic one was like, I need you to show up more intensely. Mm-hmm. And the other was, I need you to give me space and appreciate me for who I am. And after two sessions of grieving, they played with the experiment again, looking for anything new, any nuance. And as they were playing with pressure, their hands slid so that one's hand was above the other's. You might do this right now. Like if you put your palms together and line up the fingers and then lift one a little bit higher and notice how the the pad of your hand can fit into the center of the palm of the other hand, like two puzzle pieces. And then the pad of the, of the hand can fit in there at the fingers. Can you find that sort of puzzle piece fit together? Like the heel of the hand goes into the palm of, of mm-hmm. one person right. and it's pads of the hand go into the palm of the other person. And then it sort of fits together like a little puzzle piece. Yeah. So it's just discovered that. And they both were just like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> to the kinesthetic person. It was like, this is lovely. This feels very intimate, very powerful, very intense. But because it had a light pressure to it, the person who was more auditory visual didn't feel so crowded with all that pressure. And they were like, whoa, this is very interesting. So that was mm. a lovely positive experience of doing that work. Yeah. So there are ways that we can be together that yeah. that can work. Yeah. And that whole dance of bumping into some early childhood but I need, mm. I need you to do this way of being for me. And they grieved. They both grieved and they thought maybe this isn't going to work. And then they, cause they had done some care for their infant self, some honoring that those feelings existed from back then, they were able to discover this new way, this more adult way. Wow. That's fascinating. Did you suggest to them ways that they could grieve their infant self? I just, you know, as a dance therapist, you just invite the flow of movement in the body and validate and your body kind of makes a a puzzle piece shape that mirrors their shape. I love how when someone is sad and that energy is down and the head might be tipped to the side, The person who's empathetically listening does a similar sort of shape. But if you went together, they would fit together like puzzle pieces. It's like the person who's grieving's head would fit on top of the ear of the person who's who's um, comforting them in that grief. Mm -hmm. So so when they just were sad, I was sad with them and I invited them to let themselves move and feel the sadness, you know, pay attention to their breath, which would deepen the sadness. And um, we just sat in there until they were ready for the possibility of going back to the exercises and see what something new they might find. Yeah, they went back to grieve this infant part of themselves. And in a sense, that was holding them back from being together in a way that was working better for them. So they had to go back to move forward. Exactly. Yeah. In Stacy's part of the article, she talks about how we can use some of the internal family systems work to help create language for that. 
another couple that I've done the the body work with, the dance therapy with, there was an addiction issue, and um, one of the partners had been secretively drinking. And when that came out, it felt like a betrayal. It felt very scary. Who are you? I don't, you know, just a lot of alarm on the partner's sake. And as we began moving with that, we did we, we did a lot of grounding, a lot of moving to the floor, which begins to invite the couple to get in touch with that baby self. Then I suggested they might want to talk that way. Instead of saying stuff like, I feel, they might say something like, there's a part of me, or there's a, a young part of me that's feeling um, really frightened of you. I let each of them get a stuffed animal and they're sitting cross-legged on the floor and the stuffed animal is in their lap so that on a body level, there's this sense of, I'm talking about, I'm telling you about this baby part of me, but I am the lap. I am the holder for this baby me. And things would happen like they would pick up the stuffed animal and hold it at their heart. Or they would do things like, like kind of rub it and pet it or play with its feet. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of point that out to them that, that they are caring for this baby part of them. And then we got to them doing the palms together, but with the baby in the lap. So there was, again, this feeling of I am coming to meet you. I'm taking care of me. And then me, with all of me, is connecting and disconnecting with you. Yeah, that touches me deeply because I have done a lot of that kind of personal work of like attending to my younger self, my more infant self. I like to call it also my adolescent self. (laughs) Sure, Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I've done a lot of work of trying to nurture her and accept her and notice her when she is more a part of me or is less hidden Yes. And that's, yeah, that's helped integrate and also let go of her a little bit. So when we are born, we're like little possums, like little kangaroos. We are not done yet. Our nervous system isn't functioning. We need a pouch. So we need that cocoon pouch kind of space. Around three, we leave the little pouch. We come back in, we leave, and we are on our own. So that leaving of the body home is that early infant journey. And, of course, we revisit that in adolescence. Absolutely. So another piece of work that I did with the same couple that had the stuffed animals in their laps is we talked about the pelvis and how in that pubescent time, the pelvis is making all these changes. So the same part of your body where your psoas is so wired to locomotion, that's where you're fighting and fleeing is just the most fast trigger. In that same place, you're developing this whole other way of being. So how does your pelvis share space with your more animal infant self and then with also this adult sexual being? Hmm. That's complex. It is complex. I mean, it's what happened. And as they had those stuffed animals in their lap, they were able to think about in the same way that um, the arms connect, reach up and connect. They also are the um, holders of space, the boundary. So they played with, that kind of palm to palm press. And then like, I am control of letting you come into my space. I'm going to bend my elbows and let you push into my hands and come into my space. And at any moment I can say, no, 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 not now. And push you back. And that pushing you back doesn't have to be a rejection. So as I let you closer that could be so delicious and so amazing and wonderful in all the cells of my being that I push you away so I can take a breath, so I can digest that amazing experience. 
So a push away, give me a little space, a little time to, to savor that delicious experience isn't necessarily a shove, go away, I don't want to ever see you again. So those nuanced awarenesses that came out of that complexity, this isn't just little kid. This isn't me just taking care of a little kid. This is me exploring the sensualness that sexuality allows. Yeah. That's a great, <laughs> great different way, a different perspective on, on it's not rejecting. It's give me a moment to just savor how wonderful this feels. Yeah. Well, and in Judith Kestenberg's dances, those early infant dances, the first dance is the sucking rhythm. And of course, that sucking rhythm has different speeds. And of course, it's about sucking in food in the beginning and nurturing the body and energizing the body. And then it becomes about, you know, pumping of blood. It becomes about self-soothing kind of rocking. And once we've got enough of that sucking rhythm established, the next rhythm is bite snap. And that's the me, mine. And that's that patty cake. And that, no, wait, hold on. Mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't have to be some attack. It can be a playful, hey, high five. You know, hey, wait a minute. I'm thinking, hold it, give me a minute. So having those dances get part of that healthy, playful journey, the next one, and this is what I was getting to, is twisting. And if I cannot twist my head from side to side, I can't say no. I can't say no, thank you. If I can't say no, then yes is not a choice. I'm going to have to swallow things I do not like if I can't say no, thank you, not right now. And again, it may be my most favorite food. But not right now, I'm full. <laughs> so that work, when, when the hands can come forward to hold the space, it makes me feel like it's my space. And in my space, I get to decide, no, yes, yes, no, yes. Yeah. It takes two people to really empathize with each other, to really see that perspective Right, because there's so much room for taking it personally. That's a great topic you've brought up. So we dance therapists are very conscious that interaction is what they call now co-regulation. In other words, little tiny things I do affect you, and the little tiny things you do affect me. Um, we can now with computers see the matches and mismatches of movement, and they're the, the studies, the dance therapy studies are showing that we don't want all matching because then we lose our boundaries. We want a certain amount of mismatching that helps me feel me as a separate being from you. And that's true even early on. How am I a me and separate from a you? So that co-regulation is very equal, very peer-like in a romantic relationship. In infancy, the parent is still the container for the child. The, the, the child can push into the container of the parent to help find themselves. I do this exercise with every client, whether it's a couple or a child or whoever it is, well, at a certain age, teenagers and up, and especially teenagers and their parents. So, if you push into something, like right now, if you turn sideways and push into the side of your chair, mm -hmm. yeah, and if everybody listening could push into something, notice how when you push into something, you feel you. The harder you push, you can feel all the way from your core out to your hands. You can even, if you push super hard, engage your legs, and you feel all the way down to the soles of your feet. Push is crucial for being, for embodiment. So, Yes, we co-regulate mother and child, but the mother becomes the holder. The father becomes the holder for this pushing. We shouldn't have to be that for our lovers. For our lovers, the push is playful. It's co-regulation. It's that what you just named. It's that two empathetic people picking up on nuanced movements that make tantric sex 
tantric sex is the idea of not orgasm goal driven. So we're not driving towards an orgasm. I'm exploring this sensual dance and that ups the ante and ups the ante and ups the ante. And then ideally when an orgasm comes, it is a more spiritual, more oxytocin bathing experience that come closer. No, go back, come closer. No, go back. I mean, that's intercourse. So (laughs) if we, you know, Hey, right. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what made you think of that when I had just asked my question, was it the empathy part? Yes. the, the, The way you said it, the tone of your voice had such awareness of this, all the sensual nuanced movement possibilities that two equal peer people have. It's more simple for a baby and a parent. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, but the bottom line is my role is to, is to invite your aliveness and then give you something to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. I am the container with which you wrestle. It's more simple. Whereas the rules are a lot less clear, a lot more complicated. So two empathetic people. And the thing is, if I'm empathetic to you, you are going to get more empathetic to me. If I am not predictable, I am in the moment, I am responding, I'm catching the, the energetic ball you send. And then as I send it back, you're going to get, oh, oh, well. And then you send something to me and I send it to you. So this peer-like dance has the possibility for this kind of co-regulation that is electric. Hmm. Have you witnessed when it just, it doesn't work out? Like there are two people, you know, there's a lot of information out there about how different attachment styles Inter, uh, certain attachment styles don't interact well with each other. And if you find yourself in a relationship with this attachment style and you're this attachment style, you're not going to be a good fit. Is that something that you believe in? Or do you believe in, um, you know, working, being able to work together and start understanding a little bit more of, of what the interactions are so that, you know, they're not just kicked up into fight or flight easily and not understanding. Yeah, excellent. I love the way you said that last part so that they're not just kicked up into fight flight. Yes. Um, so I want to answer that question first in a more counseling kind of way and then in a more poetic way. So if I am improving my dances, like say I'm learning the swing, which is a partner dance, and if I keep working on my dance, as long as you keep dancing with me, you're going to keep shifting and changing. You have to. So you may leave and then I can't dance with you anymore. But it's possible for me to keep improving my dance. And you, if you stay with me, your dance is going to change and you will keep improving your dance. So I, I definitely believe that we are learning because of the nervous system science that changing attachment styles is possible. It's possible to shift from a more shutdown or anxious style into a more secure style. Now, the poetic version of that. So in the book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who's a Jungian um, analyst, as well as a story collector, she tells the story of the skeleton woman. And it's about romance. So this fisherman, this Inuit fisherman is out fishing and his hook gets caught on the bones of this woman down buried in the sands. And he starts fantasizing that it's a big fish. I've caught this big fish, this amazing fish. This fish is going to feed the village. Just like we feel in the beginning of a relationship. This is it. This is great. This is the big one. At some point, the bones come dislodged and come flying up out of the water. And it's terrifying. You know, the whole idea of the skeleton comes out of the closet, literally. (laughs) 
And he's so scared, he just starts rowing to try and get away. But the, the line gets all tangled in the oars and then tangled around its legs. And he gets to the shore and he jumps out of the boat, but he just drags the skeleton woman with him. He dives in the igloo. She comes flying in and just plop. There's all her bones all tangled with the fishing line. And he does this series of things. The first thing he does is he catches his breath. So she talks about how when the skeletons come out of the closet in a relationship, we want to run. If we can first catch our breath. The second thing he does is he untangles the line from the bones. So as we begin to unravel, oh, wait a minute, this, this thing is mine. It's all wrapped in here. Then he lays out the bones. So there's more of a sense of how does this stuff work? Not that there's ever a, you know, we totally understand anything, but there's some concepts that can help us along the way. And then he's exhausted, so he goes to sleep. Oh, wait, no, there's one other thing. He sings over the bones. So he untangles, he gets the breath, untangles the line, lays out the bone, and sings over the bones. So this breath thing that I talked about, about breath coming up and out of the mouth as being like another arm or leg or foot. So he sings over the bones, then he's exhausted, goes to sleep. Because he has done all those things, skeleton woman grows flesh and wakes up. She sees a tear coming down his eye, which is his grief over all the stuff he's identified, that grieving like my clients did when they Um, saw the difference of the harder press and the light press. And she is so thirsty. She hauls herself over, drinks the tear. He wakes up, they make love, and they live together happily ever after. And of course, as we know from Jungians, happily ever after is about the internal marriage, the marriage of the part of us that gets scared and the way and path to heal our fears, to cry that tear. It's, it's a poetic version of what those two clients did that found that third way with the palms that fit together like puzzle pieces. So, yes, I do believe that if we do that mythic kind of work and our partner sticks in there with us, they're going to be doing their own version, whatever it is. I mean, maybe in this lifetime, my mythic journey is a, a safari in Africa comparison and yours is, you know, a, a trip to the local mountains. But we do our work, whatever our work is. And if you're there tomorrow and two weeks from now and a month from now and three years from now and five years from now and 20 years from now, then we're together. Right. So you're essentially saying that any two people can be together and work it out. They could if if they... Don't run from the skeleton woman. Right. If they both invest and don't run away and stick through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that also fits the 12-step model where there are the Anon groups. So for any addiction like alcoholism, there's Al-Anon. Like narcotics addiction, there's Nar-Anon. So when we look at dis-ease, a lack of ease, as a family issue that some people end up addicted to a substance and that freaks out the people who are in their family and they get addicted to trying to fix that person. So when we can see the relational dance, we can begin to alter our own foot patterns in that dance. And then as long as the person sticks around, the dance, the mobile is affected every that co-regulation piece of adults is changed i mean a baby should not have the responsibility of regulating the adult i mean no, it happens yeah. yes exactly i mean it does happen the baby it giggles does. and it makes everybody feel better but it should not be the responsibility of the baby to giggle in a certain way that helps everybody else feel better yeah. but with lovers different deep It's not your responsibility, either of you. Neither has a responsibility. It's all play. It's all 
an interesting dance. It's all adventure. Whereas with the baby, we need some caregiver to have the responsibility of holding the space. And of course, caregivers fail. You know, I'm a mom. I, I've certainly, well, recently I was talking to my 24-year-old daughter and I was saying, now that I'm learning more and more about the infant patterns, I'm aware that I really didn't do a good job when you started biting and snapping. <laughs> I said, I didn't understand what that was. I didn't recognize it. And I bit and snapped back. Like, don't do that. You know, I was sharp with her. And she said, I'm getting all teary. And I said, well, I guess it really resonated. Mm. And then a month or so later, I was telling her a little bit about the palm to palm work and about the patty cake. And I held up my hands and she did some kind of slaps into my hands. And I met her sort of like a dance of high fives. Yay for you, daughter. Hey, no, yay. I'm so happy for you. And she just said, we are repatterning our nervous system function. (laughs) You taught her well. (laughs) Uh, well, That's that's again my empathy for any parent, any parent. But that doesn't mean we don't take the responsibility. So I can say, you know, hey, I did a pretty decent job considering the parenting I came from, and yet I failed. And if I can tell you the ways I failed, then it will resonate in your body. It will help you become the person you would have become had you had what you needed. Well, it's healthy to fail. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And then just, can we be present? Can we learn from it? Those are the dances. That's dance therapy. Can we untangle the fishing line from the bones? And the answer is yes. That's what authentic movement the delicious, wonderful, therapeutic experience of authentic movement is all about untangling, letting the nerves move the bones without knowing ahead of time why they want to move that way. And along the way going, oh, 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 this is how I felt back when blah, blah, blah. This is, I needed someone to do this. And then if this is a dyadic dance therapy experience and the dance therapist can enroll and give you what you needed the experience of, you know, push into me, you know, or here, push your back and move me away from you. You know, those kind of reparative dances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how you repattern the nervous system functioning. And that's why we are beginning to see that it's possible to shift more into a secure attachment style. Yeah, this is really great. Really, really valuable information. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for anybody listening to this who wants to work on their romantic relationship, kind of DIY, do at home exercises? Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. And um, the easiest thing for me to offer is I have developed over all this time a series of exercises and and put them in little bite-sized YouTube bits. So when we're babies, we want to come into our bodies. We want to be a starfish. We want to be able to be and take up the space 360 degrees. And as little babies, we're, we bite and we scratch and we kick and we want to socialize that little um, animal being but we want to take up the space that is ours. So the first exercise is simply that, exploring today in this moment, how possible is it to be a star? Hmm. Like to send energy radiating out from your core, 360 degrees like a sea urchin. And then because that's often not easy, the next exercise is called fire. And you do like a little shake, a little shiver, trying to get some fire in your pelvis, fire going. And I say that if it starts to feel like overwhelming fire, you can rock. And that kind of calms it down. And so if the calming it down makes it get too damp and not present, again, you shake, you shiver, you stir it up. And then if it starts to get too much, you rock. And so you're starting to manage your fire. And I'll say you want enough fire to cook, but not so much you burn the house down. 
Right. So you're managing that fire, managing that energy. There's 12 of these, so I won't go through them all. Yeah, what's your YouTube channel? It's on, it's on my website. So the website is called lustierlife.com. Okay. Because the idea is once you get into these romantic relationships, you have this, you know, lustier life, this like more exciting, more unpredictable kind of life. How I came to learn about nervous system science is that I started online dating. I did that too. <laughs> yeah, and when I did, I thought, this is so nerve-wracking. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought as a dance therapist, I need exercises to help me manage how enlivening in a not pleasant way this feels. So I started creating exercises for myself and then I started using those with clients who were online dating. And then I met a partner. And so when I met my partner, I stopped writing, making the book. But this other friend of mine was continuing to online date. She said, no, you need to finish that book. So the three of us made a book. It's a workbook. And it's a great workbook for therapists to use with clients. I use it with my clients all the time. So it's called Naked Online, A Dozen Ways to Grow from Internet Dating. So how do I use, again, do I have to wait till I'm in a bad relationship that stirs off all my infant stuff in order to start changing my infant stuff? No. Online dating is like a giant ballroom dance class. You know, I, I have an email exchange with someone. It stirs up some infant stuff. I heal it. You know, I have a phone exchange with someone. It stirs up more infant stuff. I heal it. So by the time I eventually find someone, I'm going to be a healthier partner for them. Anyway. That's a wonderful so, way to look at it, yeah. <laughs> so lustierlife.com is where the book is, plus a lot of my writing about nervous system science. If you go on lustierlife.com to the video section, all these little bite-sized exercises, the first five you do alone, and then starting at six, it's something you can do with a partner it doesn't have to be a lover. It could be a peer, a friend, two people who wanted to work on these exercises. They're made to go along with the book. And then the last piece is all of those exercises have come together into a partner practice called, that I call Chi for Two. That's not online right now. That I am actually just doing in person. I, I'll do it like, like a, you know, partner yoga class. People will just show up and do Chi for Two. But, it's available in bite-sized pieces in the Lust of Your Life Skill videos. I'll make sure to attach a link to that as well with your bio. Yeah, and that's free. It's just free. Go online and enjoy. Very generous of you. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you very so. much. Thank you for sharing in such an authentic way that it brought a richness to the conversation. Yeah, thank you. That was so valuable. And what a different perspective. I wish I had I wish I talked to you when I was online dating. <laughs> there were a lot of emotions coming up during that time in my life. <laughs> I agree. Yes. Well, I mean, hopefully, now you and I will help other people. Right. Thank you all for listening. And come follow me and join me on my Facebook page facebook.com slash Orit Krug DMT. And if you don't have a Facebook, all the things that I post also go on my YouTube channel. Just search Orit Krug Dance Movement Therapist. See you there.